Welcome to Healthcare's Missing Link, a weekly podcast to help you uncover hidden things that steal your health. Thanks for joining us today. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Sherwood. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Healthcare's Missing Link, a podcast where we help you uncover those things that are missing to keep you from obtaining optimal health. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Sherwood, and I get the pleasure of bringing back one of our most popular guests and one of my uh, dear colleagues who has been a great influence on Dr. Michelle and I's life. He's a practitioner, a functional medicine expert from the country of Denmark. He speaks all over the world. Amaro Cadigan, welcome back. Thank you. So grateful. You know, we're in a time right now where the whole world is under this thing called a pandemic. Um, It's COVID-19. Man, let's dive in here. It's affecting everyone's lifestyles, cultures, habits, etc. And some people are scared. Some people are not. There's a lot of confusion. I've spoken my piece about this. I want people to hear from someone else that I have high respect for. What is COVID-19? Well, I mean, COVID-19 is if you get an infection with this virus currently circulating around, it's called SARS-CoV-2. So the bug or the virus is called SARS-CoV-2. And then if you get an infection and you, you, you're ill, that's COVID-19. So it's like, you know, it's just semantics, but there's the virus and then there's the disease right right and then and then you probably you also have some people who will have SARS-CoV-2 and be carriers and be asymptomatic so they don't have COVID-19 but they might still have been exposed or at some point harboring that infectious agent uh, and then you know if you get COVID-19 you, the, the results can be anywhere from something that might just resemble having the flu uh, but also you'll have people who get severely ill, so they get you know, very serious respiratory issues, they get circulatory issues. And then what's emerging, we also see all sorts of other organ damage, kidney damage, hepatic damage, neurological damage. You know, some people lose their sense of smell. And there certainly also are some people who get you know, something that looks like very similar to mononucleosis, where mm-hmm. They get the infection. They won't necessarily go to the hospital. They might. Then they won't go on a ventilator. Uh, you know. But then they just they're tired and fatigued for weeks or months afterwards. And there also seems to be an increase in chronic fatigue syndrome post-infection. Again, here we're just getting very early numbers because to diagnose chronic fatigue syndrome, really, you need, you know, for at least six months have unremitting fatigue that can't be explained for any other reason and live up to very specific diagnostic criteria. But there, there's things going on. Actually, one of my colleagues who uh, out of Sweden, who's like a total whiz, well, can't say whiz kid because he's, you know, he, he's older than we are, uh, but but he is a whiz kid. He, in terms he's of probably in the area of about 35 right something like exactly that. yeah 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 mid-30s exactly so but but he's he's doing you know he's one of the best researchers in the world on all these sorts of biomarkers and so they've been looking at biomarkers to try to distinguish you know what what happens when people get COVID-19 and they end up with a mono-like situation or chronic fatigue syndrome um so also I think that needs to be put into perspective I mean People's main concern with COVID-19 is, oh, okay, well, I get ill to the point where I have to go on the ventilator. What if I die from that? That's certainly one complication. But actually, we, we, only really, we mainly see that in people who have pre-existing morbidity, right? So 
the people who end up on ventilators and who die or, or almost die tend to be the ones who are really old and frail just from age or who have you know, classic diseases of civilization. They have type two diabetes, not well, well regulated or type one diabetes, not well regulated. Whereas if it's actually well controlled, not that much of an issue, they're massively obese, not just a bit, you know, like you know, they have a bit of blubber they might want to get rid of. They want to look more fit for summer, for when the gym or, or when I go in the bedroom with my significant other. But, you know, whether we're talking about serious obesity, that carries a much higher risk of getting really ill and dying or people have, you know, they have already have like cardiac failure or have really severe cardiovascular disease. And of course, also, if you have a you know lung disease in the first place, if you have chronic obstructive lung disease or severe asthma. Um, so those things really increase the risk of people getting severely ill from COVID-19 in terms of a respiratory, you know, respiratory distress and dying from that. Uh, I know in Denmark, we've had less than a thousand, we've had less than a thousand people whose deaths have some sort of association with COVID-19, I think it's about 800, but less than maybe 25 of those didn't have pre-existing morbidity. So maybe about 25, maybe it's 30 now that, you know, last time I checked was a couple of weeks back, but only about 30 people have died directly as a consequence of the, of, of the virus and COVID-19. But that being said, you have all these other people who, get mild disease, but get all these knock-on effects. So it's not as, you know, it, it's not fair to say it's just like a bad flu. It, it might be in terms of death, you know, people who die directly compared to people who die because they're already weak and unhealthy or frail for many different reasons. But there is another part, another picture emerging with people who get post-infectious complications, even if they don't get really ill, where they, for a long time, they're tired or they might also have their, you know, their breathing and airways affected, although they don't go on a ventilator, um, or cognitive, you know, effects, um, or uh, and sensory issues, especially people who lose their smell, uh, you know, their smell, and also their ability to taste things. Uh, and there's also like emerging that digestive upset, severe digestive upset can be an issue because you can actually track the virus in people's digestive system. And uh, in a couple of studies, they were looking at SARS-CoV-2 levels in sewage water, and that totally correlated with spread in that area so you know so one another way of testing apart from doing a, a deep nasal oropharyngeal swab might actually be to do stool samples um, although no one's validated that but i mean so so so, so one thing i think it, it's it, obviously when some people are going overboard and getting too scared or too restrictive uh, but on the other hand it's, it's not just another flu and we don't know the full picture yet because all these long-term consequences you won't know until you look for them uh, and follow up. Um, but it's still some. And, and but then for for di- for for it's like immediate death. I mean, one of the main issues is either age, but there are any other infection do it, or that people have pre-existing diseases of civilization. So I think one thing this is actually a wake-up call that we still have work to do in terms of making sure people don't get metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, massively overweight, because. That's, I mean, that's where you get people who aren't over 80 who die from, die from, from COVID-19. Uh, you know, I think that's highlighted very clearly now. We, we, there, there's a long way to go. We, we shouldn't just look at, you know, um, like gross domestic product, GDP. We should look at gross national health as well. That should be yes. a KPI at national level, you know, uh, from, from governmental levels uh, and, and NGOs and so forth. We should be looking at that because 
this just shows us there's another issue we already knew and that you know puts a massive burden on the healthcare system. Um, and if we could deal with that, we would, you know, like fix two things in one, uh, two problems in, in one go. Let me ask you this, because this, and I, and I know there's really no right answer here, but yeah. let's say that we did fix the, the, the global health crisis. You know, we eliminated yeah. diabetes, metabolic syndromes, and all those comorbidities that sort of, those pathologies that sort of yeah. conjunctively tie to that, uh, that dastardly destructive process. Yeah. Yeah. Would we be having the same conversation right now if we corrected those things about this SARS-CoV-2 slash COVID-19? No, we wouldn't. And for two reasons. One, some of the deaths, or maybe a lot of the deaths, wouldn't be there. On top of that, we wouldn't have a healthcare system that was already pushed to the brink. I mean, because the in public healthcare systems, national healthcare systems, before this was dropped upon us or appeared, you know, or whatever way you want to frame phrase it, they were already pushed to, you know, like beyond capacity handling disease yeah. of civilization. Also, you know, emergency medicine and so forth. And, you know, so so if we didn't have that burden, we, we would have way more capacity in the healthcare system to deal with the people who got infections. Fewer people would get really ill from infections. So we would we would still be, have a conversation, but not the same conversation. By no means, and 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 might not have had to, you know, have us draconian measures as well um, to curb the spread of the disease. But I, I think the people who just say, "Oh, just let the disease run its course, and we'll get herd immunity and so forth." No, no, that that's a that's a bit too laissez-faire, laid back, or you know, that that's not okay. Um, but and and but you know, but 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 and then I mean, the other interesting thing is some of the countries who have much less, less of an issue. They, one thing is what they do in terms of limiting disease transmission. But if you look at it, it's also interesting. Some of those populations are from, you know, in a worldwide right perspective are relatively healthy, like in, in the Far East, Korea, Japan, right? Yep. Um, Taiwan, there's been way less spread. And one thing is that people are a lot more pertinent about hygiene and contact and spreading. Um, but in general, not you know, people are also healthier or less unhealthy might be the way to to say it, right? So I think, you know that has impact. Um, so so and 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 then, you know, again, and I can just do Danish numbers or statistics, yeah. right? So in Denmark, we've had less than a thousand deaths from COVID nineteen, and a lot of those deaths is like COVID nineteen was just the final drop that pushed people over the edge. At the no. same time, seventeen thousand people die every year in Denmark just from smoking. Right. Wow. So, you know, so it's like, so again, you know, and if you're a smoker, you also have a high risk of dying COVID-19. So again, it, it, I think one thing is it highlights that there are these things that we've accepted or these health problems in public health that haven't been dealt with. And there are many reasons why we haven't fixed that, you know, that sort of like smoking and many other things. But now, just to put those numbers into perspective, now, no one's ever done anything close to the measures we're putting in place now, different speed, different degree of intensity in the world. Right. Stop smoking. But like in Denmark, okay, 17,000 people die every year. Then all the people who aren't dead yet or who are ill but will survive, as in they're not clinically dead. And then you have something where a thousand people, less than a thousand people are dead, a lot from pre-existing morbidities. And we're doing all these things, and I don't disagree with what we're doing in Denmark, to handle that. Why aren't we putting in just half the effort or a quarter of the effort to really deal with the underlying 
health, I mean, public health problems. We should be doing that. You know, we, we know this, but, and the same thing is true in, uh, in America, this, this thing, this, this, uh, as we like to say, the elephant in the room is our lifestyle. Terrible. Why aren't we putting even half the effort? Why aren't we doing that? What's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's like, I mean, there, there are a lot, lots of things. Um, so, but so I think what's more important to say is that the one who can change something is yourself, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. At, at societal level, uh, we've created obesogen- an obesogenic society that where it's harder to, unless you're very deliberate in your choices and very conscious, then it's easy to make a lot of choices that push you down a trajectory of poor health and you become overweight and type 2 diabetes disease of civilization. You know, if you just sort of go with the flow, that's the right direction you will go. You, you literally have to choose consciously to go against the floor in another direction to not become unhealthy in a modern society. So, yeah, it'd be nice if we just change the surroundings uh, yeah. and, you know, and everything, but that's not happening. So the one who can do something is yourself, although that might be a bit unfair. Uh, you know, so, 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 and, uh, but it's a mix because it makes me think like we have. The food industry, and I'm sure, I mean, none of the big players out there, they're not saying, oh, we're gonna, we want everyone to die from cancer and obesity, no. But, you know, they say profit and then you know, say, well, it's not really our fault because you can, I mean, we're not stuffing burgers or fizzy drinks down your throat and you could eat a bit of those once in a while and eat lots of broccoli and kale and salmon, you'll be fine. But that's just not what people do, right? And there's this escalating arms race with advertising and highly palatable foods with low satiety, you know, where... Well, if they go a bit ahead, then they get the market. So now we're going to have to socialize this escalating arms race for our pallets. We have that uh, at public level. We don't, you know, there are all these things that are choi- the wrong choices, the long- wrong legislation is there, the wrong structure, surroundings, and so forth. So all that, yeah, it ought to be changed, but it, that's not happening anytime soon. But if you as a person choose to do something different today and for yourself, for your family, for your friends, that changes something. And the moment enough of us do something like that, we will force the big players to change because like, well, we're not going to buy this squad of what you're selling or producing. Well, I so agree. Either, 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 either die or, you know, or go bankrupt or feed us what we want, you know? Yeah. So, so I told so, you, so, it's interesting. You know, uh, we, we like to say that change the person staring at you in the mirror first and yeah, don't spend time worrying about what everybody else does, you know, exactly. and, I, uh, and people we sort of are around and we're, we're a little bit of a, um, a strange, a uh, little bit of a freakish, a little bit of a yeah. weird group, but in reality, health and these things that we can do should not be weird or freakish. They should be more no. than norm. But to that end, you know, the, what are some things, uh, and, I, and I want you to go in the direction of, um, you know, uh, is there, are there medications such as hydroxychloroquine slash dystromycin? Does that help? What are some supplements that people yeah. should do? And what are some lifestyle things they should do to prepare themselves for probably not if, but when they're exposed to this exactly, yeah. COVID-2? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the, the, the basic foundation, you know, like the fundamentals of health, get moving every day. Uh, start by eating real food. I tend to tell people use what I call the tea plate model. So if you imagine you have a tea, everything mm-hmm. above the tea, which is half the plate, should be vegetables, berries, and fruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have two quarters left underneath. And so one quarter should be healthy, lean protein sources with healthy fats, and the other 
quarter, the remaining 25% should be some healthy starch source, sweet potatoes, uh, steamed normal potatoes, uh, quinoa, uh, you know, chickpeas, that sort of thing. Um, so do that and, and go for max amounts of vegetables. So do that. Um, obviously, if you smoke, find a way to stop. Easier said than done. If you drink too much, don't drink too much and get controlled sleep and stress. We know that just stress or sleep deprivation generally increases your susceptibility to respiratory infections, both bacterial and viral. So just something as basic as that will already put you on a, on a trajectory where your body is better equipped to handle if you're exposed, lowers the risk of actually getting infected if you're exposed or decreases the risk of you becoming severely ill, right? I mean, right. So that, that's, that's, that's like fundamentals or just the, you know, starting point. Then yeah. we see in, in terms of nutrients, I mean, vitamin D certainly plays an important role. There are all these studies showing a correlation between higher vitamin D levels and lower rates of infection or better prognosis. So you know, if you have higher vitamin D, you're less likely to get infected if you're exposed, or if you're infected, you're less likely to require going to the hospital, going to the emergency department in the hospital, going on a ventilator. So, you know, so that there's certainly a link there. Um, so, so, you know, make sure that your vitamin D levels are in place uh, from sun exposure, from fatty fish, from supplementation, a combination, and also vitamin D is probably in general also a marker of health. So the more unhealthy people are, the higher the expenditure of vitamin D, right? So, you know, you can have a, the same intake and then someone who's really unhealthy will have lower levels because they use more to try to clear up or clean up the mess they're making with the wrong diet and the wrong lifestyle. So make sure your vitamin D is, um, if you, again, there are different units in the, in, in the US and in Europe. So in, in Europe, I'd say be at least at at least 80 nanomoles per liter, uh, uh, ideally probably about a hundred nanomoles per liter. So I think that, that would translate into, you know, go about with nanograms per deciliter you use yeah, in the US, right? Right. Yeah. So, 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 so make sure I think when you look at that, the studies that get to at least 35 nanograms per deciliter. And so there's something there. Also, there are studies showing there's a correlation between zinc levels and mm -hmm. um, the rate of infection or how severe the infection is. And, and also, you know, in terms of preventing, preventing the cytokine storm that can cause us a lot of the damage people who then if they're infected and become really ill because they have, you know, an exaggerated immune response they can't bring to closure. So mm -hmm. making sure you get enough zinc. And um, um, if you know Chris Master John, um, he right, he he he's following it closely. He is loosened it, I think, from yesterday. So it's going to be a slightly different date when this is aired. But he had he he brought four or five described medical cases of people who were infected, diagnosed, and then went on really high dose zinc. Mm -hmm. between 150 and I think 231 milligrams per day, obviously not wow. something you should be taking for preventive reasons. And all of them actually managed to stay out of the hospital and were back on their feet much faster than you would expect. Of course, that's not definitive proof, but it's certainly interesting because we know zinc does things in terms of viral infectivity and in terms of limiting how much of an inflammatory response you get to a virus and inhibiting viral replication. So that I think, you know, vitamin D and zinc certainly are important. And then in general, the nutrients we know that are important for the immune system, we know that vitamin C is important. And as you get an infection, your demand or your requirement probably increases. I mean, what sometimes you actually see is that people who are really severely ill, if you were to measure them, then blood levels are at scurvy levels. So, so you know, you use a lot more vitamin C. And 
Again, you see these protocols being used and you, there are case reports published and uh, there are studies ongoing with high-dose vitamin C, not to cure, but to make sure that people get back on their feet faster, they spend less time on a ventilator, they have a lower risk of going on ventilators. I'd definitely say make sure you get plenty of vitamin C through food and supplementation. Because um, what's the worst thing you can do if you get too much vitamin C? You get you know, diarrhea or just like a digestive upset. So, so, you know, you're not likely to cause major damage there. So make sure you're well covered with vitamin C. And then, we, you know, to, no, also talking about Korea and Japan, that there are a couple of studies out of Korea where they looked at some of the, the lactic acid bacteria you find in kimchi yeah. that modulate the immune response in such a way that you both have less, in, in, you know, the rate of infection is lower, but also you have a lower risk if you're infected of getting the cytokine storm. I mean, it's also this strange... In the first place, you want a sufficiently aggressive immune system to make sure you don't get infected or you limit you know, mm -hmm. the viral infection before it gets a foothold. But once it gets a foothold, you actually don't want an exaggerated immune response because it becomes too aggressive. Then you basically auto-combust or self-destruct. You know, yeah. You know yeah, the, yeah. The, the act of war goes to the point where you basically bomb yourself into obliteration. Um, and, you know, and so we know that, and we also know for proper immune response, iron is important. So, mm -hmm. and deficiency, and also some of the problems we see, probably there seems to be a link between the, you know, this particular virus and it, um, it interferes with hemoglobin function and might, might lead to hemoglobin breakdown as well. So that, so because you get people who, when they become really ill, who, who have symptoms that look like hypoxia, right? yeah. like a lack of oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, so they get this strange thing because if you have iron being, dumped out of hemoglobin and hemoglobin being destroyed. On the one hand, you have some of the symptoms of anemia. On the other hand, you have some of the symptoms of excess iron, you know, of hemochromatosis, uh, because mm -hmm. iron in the wrong place literally rusts. So, yeah. so there's something, making sure you have, you're covered for iron in the first place, um, and then that you're getting plenty of antioxidants through food and, and foods that induce your antioxidant response elements, you know, and, and, and there's this emerging, you know, story with not just with a, the particular lactic acid bacteria they found in kimchi, but your gut microbiota and your whole gut microbiome and your immune response in general, and also your ability to withstand the viral infections. That's, you know, go for a gut healthy diet, consider probiotics or in individual remedying of whatever's off. If you do stool samples, things like that. Um, that would that would probably make sense, and then some of these medicinal mushrooms, not the ones that are psychedelic, but you know things like shiitake, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or psilocybin, but you know, but but things like um, shiitake, reishi, maitake. Mm -hmm. At least if you look at them, you know, theoretically, that should be beneficial because they seem to enhance your ability to lower viral infection rates and at the same time limit a cytokine storm. Um, and then, you know, because a lot of people get lung issues, we yeah. know that glutathione is really important to, in terms of protecting the lungs. So, you know, getting the foods that, un, you know, that sort of make sure that you have good, robust production of glutathione, to get plenty of sulfurous amino acids from eggs, from dairy products, unless you're allergic or intolerant to them, from cruciferous vegetables and, you know, all these onion vegetables in the onion family, onion, garlic, chives, spring onions, and so forth. And then eat all these vegetables that induce glutathione synthesis. So the cruciferous vegetables, watercress, curcumin, berries, especially the very dark ones, you know, like proper blueberries, choke berries, that sort of thing, right? Because they induce glutathione synthesis. Um, 
So, and also some of the leafy greens, even if they're not things like kale, but parsley, flat leaf parsley as well. So you definitely want to support your glutathione synthesis. And again, there are a couple of case reports of either IV glutathione or high dose or liposomal glutathione or N-acetyl glutathione, so the forms that I will get into your bloodstream, or even a nebulizer with glutathione where people did better than you'd expect them once they got to the point of having respiratory problems or even being, you know, needing to go on a ventilator. So that, that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely something worth trying there as well. Um, and, and again, some of these things you can't really, I mean, you can't do wrong. You can't do damage. And of course, that's not to say, oh, well, I take glutathione, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, uh, and, and, and uh, medicinal mushrooms. And now I'm going to walk into, the emergency room with everyone coughing, not using a face mask or some sort of respiratory guard uh, and, and not practicing hygiene, you know, that, that, that would be uh, deliberately stupid. Or, uh, so, so because, because, I mean, of course, we still need to do these things, consider making sure we don't get uh, mouth-to-hand transmission, mouth-to-mouth transmission, obviously, and direct transmission through aerosol. Um, so, you know, so, so the, the, like the debate about masks rates back and forth, but I think that's one measure that along with other things can actually lower mm-hmm. rate of transmission. I mean, again, it's interesting, Korea, Japan, Taiwan, where people in general will wear face masks because they think it lowers spreading of, uh, you know, of all these airborne diseases. Well, what's the rate of infection? How many people die per 1,000 or 10,000 people there? Way less than any other part of the world. Uh, but, but again, is that that's just one thing that also shows an, another approach to public hygiene and Mm-hmm. limiting po- potential transmission from yourself to others if you're a carrier infected or from others to you um you know but 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 basic health you know that that you know making sure and then with zinc vitamin d um, and also probably some of these anti-inflammatory herbs would make sense especially if you get to the point where you get significant inflammation your curcumin and 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 maybe boswellia as well to 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 but if you get to the point where you're afraid of a cytokine storm um, you know and then also higher doses of omega-3 fatty acids especially if you get into cytokine storm situation and then that's also we can actually see that corticosteroids yeah. uh, you know uh, hydrocortisone uh, prednisone prednisolone and so forth they work but only if people get have not too low infection rate because actually if you you know they're immunosuppressants but if you have an infection and then you put people on low dose prednisolone or hydrocortisone um, they're less likely to get really severe respiratory distress, or if they have severe respiratory distress, fewer people die. So, I mean, that's, and then hydroxyquinone and chloroquine is kind of hard to figure out what's going on because it's such, I mean, the research and the communication is such a mess. And out of France, you had the guy in Marseille who seemed to have effects. Um, He also combined it with uh, azithromycin and they also gave zinc at the same time. And then you have some studies that show no effects or detrimental effects, but some of those then turned out to be doctored, uh, you know, and then you have some studies where they treat people with too high doses and then you get cardiovascular complications. So they said, well, the risk reward ratios is unacceptable. Yeah. But, you know, I'd say that's pretty poor research. If you start putting people on a degree of hydroxychloroquine that you know would cause cardiovascular problems, especially because a population group that are likely to get COVID-19 a lot of them have cardiovascular problems in the weakened heart in the first place. Yes. So, so it's kind of hard to see where, you know, what, what's actually, I mean, what's the clear picture? If anything, and that's a big if, then it might be that if it's given to people early, 
in you know in low doses and people who don't have pre-existing heart conditions yeah. as part of a total intervention maybe it, it might just lower you know the risk of of uh, of, of getting a, a very poor outcome a bit um yeah so, and that's, know, and that, that's kind of what we've done as well from that approach exactly we're we're not saying here that hydroxychloroquine is a prophylactic we're saying that no. there is an acute uh infection that has progressed to the point of an immune overload perhaps at that point yeah. perhaps it could be something because it's an immune suppressant anyway that you could add on to yeah. lower the burden but well you know we're saying i think I, if i read you clear there's there's a lot of things that we should be doing prophylactically that you you yeah. know starting with the tea and then going through the vitamins and minerals you talked about yeah. the compounds and then let's let's work on doing that first you know yeah. but also if we did get infected and there was sort of an acute process bringing up those things again no harm no foul that exactly subdue the uh, severity of the infection am i am i getting that right exactly yeah, yeah. So, so that's so still you want to practice hygiene you know at an acceptable level where you don't shut down a country completely. Well, there have been some places we need to do that for a short period of time to make yeah. sure things didn't get out of hand, like Northern Italy, where short term, their healthcare system almost collapsed, right? Uh, but, but, you know, so, so, so make sure you lower the risk of transmission. That's by thinking about how you act in public and yeah. distancing, but at a sane level, not, you know, um, and then, and then making sure that your, you, your own immune resilience, you, you enhance that or at least make sure that it's there by being healthy and there are some basic nutrients that you want to make sure you get enough of selenium probably also would be of interest yeah. although i haven't seen anyone do a lot of research well actually there is um margaret raymond from surrey university they they did from china not intervention studies but retrospective studies where they saw a correlation between selenium levels and disease burden Wow. interesting so there is in china where people have more selenium both in food but also when they checked for from uh, hair samples or finger and toenail clippings mm -hmm. that correlated with lower rates of transmission and fewer people who got severely ill if they were infected um you know so selenium so yeah so make sure you get these things um you know and and they they, they won't they, they won't again they won't make you immune to the point where you could go and snog someone who's just come on off or on their way on a, on a, on a ventilator a respirator that that you know that that but 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 you know so i think some of the public large-scale interventions we do should be in place again you have to find a balance so you don't like completely shut down you know whole economies and countries um but but that's not the whole thing that's not saying you should still make yourself more resilient or better able your body better able to handle if you get infected and exposed um by being more healthy in general and then we have these levels of add-ons we can add where most of them can't do any harm in you know uh, so so even if they don't work they and i mean there's this although that's not particularly for this but there i saw a study published not long ago by from the um some of the faculty from the linus pauling institute at oregon state university where they looked at a slightly more potent multivitamin mineral given to people in their 50s or above, I think it was over a 12 week period. And what they could see is that the burden of milder of infectious disease was lower. They spent fewer days ill, um, there were fewer circumstances, 
And when that picture has been seen several times with, you know, um, a, a strong multivitamin mineral with maybe slightly high doses of vitamin C and things like that. Again, if you then still eat a really poor diet, you know, and I think that's maybe also why, like from, from a public health care point of view, people are like, oh, don't take supplements. Uh, you know, also when we talk about disease of civilization, because there are these fundamentals we don't have in place, you know, like, okay, so you take lots of supplements, but you smoke, you know what, you're still in it, you're, you're, your health account is still negative. It's still running a deficit, right? Uh, or you're not physically active, yeah. but you take alpha lipoic acid. Well, I think physical activity would do more for your blood sugar regulation or so forth. Or you're not eating all your vegetables, but you take zinc. What do you think is better for your immune resilience? You know, so 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 some I partially understand why when you get like also maybe some of the dietetic association, they, oh, you can't just take a supplement or nutrient will boost your immunity. Well, I mean, it's both right and wrong. Yeah. But like, but so so also think like, okay, have you achieved this stage? Well, then there are things you can add on top. But if you don't have that in place, don't add on top. Like, if you get the best running shoes, it matters. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're not a good runner. So if you get these new Nike Air Zoom Parachis that were used for the first sub two marathon, that might actually be made illegal. Yeah. Well, if you haven't run a marathon, or or if you haven't done the training for a marathon. Who cares about those shoes? On the other hand, if you're a really good medium and long distance runner, those shoes will make a you know, discernible difference for you. Well, I like how you put that because ultimately, uh, and, and folks, I want you to catch this. We, we, did, uh, we have another episode with Amaro that talks about in depth the type 2 diabetes. So I want you to listen to that episode, this episode. And take the advice that was given today. I think the key thing that that, that I heard today, and I completely, a thousand percent, am in agreement with: change you, change exactly. you. Start yeah. with the person in the mirror and don't back off. Uh, Amar, exactly. how do people get a hold of and get connected with you? Yeah, well, I mean, the, if if you're English speaking, a good place to get connected with me or get inspiration is follow me on social media. So if you follow me on Instagram, where it's just my name, Umar, so my Instagram handle, Umaro, so U-M-A-H-R-O. Uh, on Facebook, there's my personal profile, Umaro, and then there's my sort of company profile, Umaro, Food Can Change Your Life. And it's a mixture of some Danish, so there's you know Danish content there, but there's also, I'll do stuff in English, plus you can hit the translate button and Sometimes the translations are a bit dodgy or you get yeah. some f- fun, f- funny uh, sentences and uh, things. But, but you know, um, so do that. I mean, there's my website, but that's all in Danish. Uh, so umaro.dk as well. Um, and then you could also consider that, uh, you know, uh, my books are not out in English yet, but they will be out in 2021 or 2022, depending on how fast we can fix that. And also um, you know, I've, I'm about to relaunch version two of Umaru Universe, which is my digital health universe mm-hmm. with information about diet, nutrition, two TV channels, one with cooking, one with these little episodes about health at, mo- at the moment in Danish. But once we have that running smoothly, we will do it in English as well. I can't wait. And um, absolutely, I'm excited about um, your books being translated into English. Those will be in my office and we'll, we'll disperse to the people that we're talking to today. I want you to have access to tomorrow. Follow him in social media. Uh, I do. Um, I get inspired by them and it, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to get to speak with this man because of his passion, his knowledge, 
His inspiration and his ability to communicate is superior because he can break complex subjects down to terms that everyone can understand in stories that stick, not just in your head, but in your heart. Amaro, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us on another episode. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And all of you out there listening, thank you for listening. And I just want to applaud you for already taking care or embarking upon that path and that journey of taking care of your own health and do exactly as you said start with the person in the mirror in front of you because you can certainly change things and hopefully that also has like a ripple effect so other things change and it might be unfair other things ought to be changed in the first place but the only place where you have some sort of locus of control is with you and your immediate family and friends and your close circles of sight there because there you can definitely make a difference and have an impact Amazing and inspirational, Amaro Cadigan. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us in another episode of Healthcare's Missing Link. Don't let the things that are hidden in life, in lifestyle, in culture, bog you down. Change you with the person in the mirror. As always, after every episode, I remind you to subscribe to see what's coming up next. And we're so grateful that you joined us today. We look forward to seeing you on next episode of Healthcare's Misfitting Plane.